Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we are in Jonah chapter 3 as we continue working our way uh, chapter by chapter straight through this book of Jonah. Jonah is four chapters long, so next week will be our concluding chapter in this sermon series in the book of Jonah. But as we have each week in this sermon series, I had collected artwork from folks in the congregation to help tell this story according to their point of view. And so as we begin today, here again, uh, the words of Jonah chapter 3 with artwork provided by many of you sitting here today. Here's Jonah 3. Chapter 3. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Again, all these videos are archived on our church website, copperluth.org slash Jonah. Next week, we're, I'm going to put out all of the artwork in the multipurpose room. We'll have a little bit of a Jonah art gallery, so you'll be able to take a look and peruse all of that. But as we begin today in Jonah chapter 3, let me just do a quick recap of this story of where, we, where we've been with, with the story of Jonah. So in Jonah chapter 1, it began with the word of God coming to this prophet Jonah, saying three commands, arise, go, call out. Arise, go to Nineveh, and call out against them. What did Jonah do in chapter 1? He did the exact opposite of all three of those commands. He did not arise. Instead, he went down to the city of Joppa, and once he got onto a ship going to Tarshish, he went down into the bottom of the ship. God said, go to Nineveh. What did Jonah do? Where did he go? He went to sleep. God said, call out. And what did Jonah do? He remained silent. So because of Jonah's severe disobedience, God hurled a storm upon this boat in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And long story short, the sailors aboard the boat cast lots to find out whose fault it was, and the lot fell to Jonah. They say, Jonah, what's going on? Jonah confessed his faith in Yahweh, the creator of the earth and the sea. And he said, it's my fault, throw me overboard. But the sailors didn't want to, but the storm wouldn't let them go and they had no choice, so they threw him overboard. The winds ceased and died down. The sailors repented and made sacrifices and vows to Yahweh as Jonah was falling deep down into the water. But at the end of chapter one, God appointed a great fish to come and 
swallow Jonah up. Chapter 2, we find Jonah in the belly of that great fish, singing a song, a psalm of thanksgiving and praise, giving God thanks for sparing his life and delivering him. And Jonah confesses there in the belly of that great fish that salvation belongs only to God Almighty. And then the great fish spits him up, vomits him onto the shore. And that's where we begin Jonah chapter 3. This prophet covered in whale slime and bile and gross stuff, probably, standing on the beach there in the Mediterranean Sea. And again, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Do these words look familiar? They should. They are the exact same words as the very beginning of the book. And God comes to him again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and said the same three imperative words. Arise, go, and call out. Arise, go to Nineveh, and call out to them. It's really interesting if we pause right here and think about this way that God calls Jonah a second time. God's given him another chance. God is giving Jonah a second chance. And when God calls Jonah a second time, there's no stipulations put on this call. There's no strings attached. God doesn't reference the fact that Jonah failed and disobeyed once before. It's a new, fresh start, God calling Jonah. He doesn't say to Jonah, hey, Jonah, I'm calling you again. We know how things went the last time, don't we? <laughs> Let's not repeat that. God doesn't say that. God doesn't threaten him. He doesn't say, hey, Jonah, I've got the same command for you. Now go do it, and if you don't, I'm putting you back in that sea, and this time I'm going to let the fish chew you up and digest you. Yes, I will. No, God doesn't say that either. God just comes to him with a fresh start, saying, arise, go, call out. It's a new day. God is starting new with him, and, the God, and God brings this call into his life. It's a beautiful reminder to us here how, how God's call to us goes hand in hand with his grace that he has for us. God does not call people who have it all together. God does not wait to extend his call to people as soon as they're perfectly obedient and then he extends the call to them. That's not how God does it. Not ever does God call people like that. First of all, God calls people according to his grace and mercy. He comes to sinners and he claims them as his very own. God then forgives the sins of his people and through the forgiveness of sins, then God also extends this call to people, this call to activity, this call to bring the good word of salvation into the world. God does all of this in our lives, not because of any merit or worthiness in us, but solely based on the grace and mercy of Almighty God. You and I do not deserve the grace that God gives to us. We do not. We, we talk about this week after week. We don't deserve God's grace. We're poor, miserable sinners. And yet he gives it to us anyways. Yet at the same time, we also don't deserve the call that God gives to us to be his representatives and mouthpieces in this world to bring his good news into this world. We don't deserve that call in our lives either. But oftentimes, like Jonah, I think we would rather uh, receive that grace but say no to the call. <laughs> Just like Jonah, I think many times we say, Lord, I love this Christianity thing. Oh, I love your grace. 
I love your mercy and the peace and the hope that you give. Oh, it's so good. But Lord, I don't, I, I don't want to go to the Ninevehs in, in this world. I don't want to go to the, the Ninevehs in my life. Not those people. I hardly know them, Lord. Plus, you know their sin. And, and honestly, Lord, I'm going to look out for you here. I'm, I'm pretty sure that they would not receive your grace and love as well as I do. Oftentimes we want to take God's grace, but not the call. But both of these things come to us just as they did to Jonah, totally by God's grace, totally not based on anything that we do or leave undone. The grace God gives you today is not based on your sin yesterday. It is a new day today. The call that God has placed on your life today, February 4th, is not based in your willingness or unwillingness to follow after him yesterday. Today is a new day. By God's grace, today is a new day. And it was with Jonah also at the beginning of chapter 3 when he's standing on the beach covered in whale slime. A new day for Jonah. When the word of God comes to him again, just as he did in the first place, and he says, Arise, go, call out to Nineveh. And what does Jonah do in chapter 3? What does he do? You can follow along. We're going we're gonna to follow through this, this handout if you want to go with. What does Jonah do? He arises, it says. It says he arose. Then it says he went to Nineveh. And then he called out to them. Let's give... Join me. Let's give Jonah a round of applause. Well done, Jonah. We're proud of you. You did it, Jonah. Hooray. Good boy, right? He does it. He goes to Nineveh, and when he gets there, he calls out to them, Od, arba'im yom, v'ninevah nehipakath. Huh? You want it in English? All right, in English. He didn't speak English. He, he didn't speak it, but in English, it's yet... In 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Yet in 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. In Hebrew, that's the Hebrew language up there, it's five words. It's just a five-word sermon that God gave to him to bring to the people. Jonah was way ahead of his time. Nice short sermon. He could have tweeted this thing. Less than 100 and, what is it, 140, 120 characters? I don't, I don't do the Twitter, okay? But Jonah could have, right? It was nice and short, nice and short message. This was what God had for him to deliver to the people. Yet 40 days in Nineveh will be overthrown. The people hear this word, and what does it say they do? What's the next verse? The people of Nineveh believed God. Yet in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. The people hear it, and they believe God. They call for a fast. The people do. People call for a fast. They put on sackcloth. It, it is what it sounds like. It's cloth that's used for sacks. Maybe imagine like a burlap bag, right? Nice scratchy stuff. People would put this stuff on at times of self-degradation, at, at times of repentance and mourning. And so the people do this, and they call for a fast. But what does Jonah's sermon mean when he says that Nineveh will be overthrown? You saw that word, Nineveh will be overthrown. What does that mean? In the Hebrew language, it can actually mean one of two things. One of two things. It can mean to utterly destroy something, or it can mean to radically alter or change one's attitude. 
So the, the first one, it, it is the same word that is used in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah when Sodom and Gomorrah were, because of their unrighteousness, totally wiped out, totally destroyed. It is the same Hebrew word. But it can also mean to radically change one's attitude. At all the times in the Old Testament where sorrow is turned into joy, it's the same word, radically changed from sorrow to joy. So what is the message that Jonah is bringing to the people? Which one is it? Is God going to utterly destroy them? Or is Nineveh going to radically change and alter its attitude and belief system? Hmm. It's what we call a double entendre, right? It can be either one. And no matter what, God's word will be done because one of these things is going to come true. But what does Jonah want to happen? What does Jonah want? I'm not going to give it all away, but in Jonah chapter 4, we find out that Jonah really wants the city to be totally destroyed. So I wonder here, when Jonah is bringing this message to them, if he kind of delights in the deliverance of this message that he thinks is divine destruction. (laughs) Jonah probably delights in that. But what does the king want to happen? What does the king think is going to happen? This king in Nineveh, what does he think is going to happen? The king doesn't really know what's going to happen. The people don't really know what's going to happen. But they're hopeful. They're hopeful. Let's take a look at what the king does. When the king gets word of this, there's rumblings among the people, and word gets to the king. What does the king do? He issues a decree that the whole city should fast, that they shouldn't eat or drink. And then the king puts on sackcloth. But the king says the whole city should do this. And who is involved in the city? The people and the animals, right? The people and the animals. The king, the king is going all in. He's saying, we all need to turn from our evil and violence and turn towards this Yahweh. We're going all in, people and animals. And why does he say this? Because for what reason? He says, who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The king was willing to give God a chance. He's willing to give this Yahweh, this this God that he hears about, a chance. And it sounds like he had tried everything else. According to historical records, the city of Nineveh at this point was part of the Assyrian Empire. But in Nineveh and in the Assyrian Empire at this time, about 800 years before Christ, there was a lot of of, uh, terrible things going on in the empire. And in Nineveh in particular, uh, most likely they were suffering of some uh, severe famine, but also a lot of political upheaval. A lot of of famine, a lot of political upheaval. And so you can imagine that the king and the people are, are willing to try something, anything different than what they've been doing. They are desperate. They're desperate. And so in their desperation, in the king's desperation, where does he reach out to? To this Yahweh that he hears about, this this God of the people of Israel. He reaches out to Yahweh and he confesses, he repents, he turns from his evil ways. Do you remember back in chapter 1, when the the storm is raging, the the captain cries out when he's trying to wake Jonah up? And the captain said in chapter 1, he said, Jonah, wake up because perhaps... Perhaps your God will come and deliver us from this storm. 
The captain in chapter 1 repented in his time of desperation to God. The king here in chapter 3 repents in his time of desperation. What word does this give to us people? God is willing and ready at all times and in all places with all people to hear people's repentance. Even if it's a last-ditch effort, God is willing to hear your repentance. God always forgives. God always forgives. No questions asked. No strings attached. It's just good old-fashioned repentance and forgiveness. And so, this is exactly what God delivers here to the city of Nineveh. This is a huge deal. Think about this. Nineveh is a, it's a pagan city, all right? It's a pagan city. They were totally evil. They had this real big reputation, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, of being a real evil place, a violent place. Uh, up until this point, they have really no relationship with Yahweh, their creator, right? They are a pagan city, on this Super Bowl Sunday, we could say that this is like the, the Super Bowl of conversion experiences in the Old Testament. Seriously, it's a pagan city that converts. Nobody, no other prophet can claim something like this. And it's Jonah. Jonah who gets credit for this, right? I mean, he doesn't, God gets all the credit, but it's by Jonah's work, the great underdog prophet. The, the prophet who so far can't do anything correctly. And he gets credit for creating this, winning this great conversion. A lot of you can relate to this, right? Those of you who are Detroit Lions fans here, right? You know what it's like to be an underdog, not have anything go correctly for you. And you can only imagine what it would be like to be at the big game and to win a playoff game. Ooh, ouch. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just a, I'm a bitter Vikings fan. We know this, right? Okay. It's all fair game. I, don't, I also don't know what it's like to win a Super Bowl or anything like that, right? But you can imagine it's the underdog and a great conversion experience happens. God's grace and forgiveness is huge beyond anything that we could ever imagine. God's grace for all people is beyond anything we could imagine. And when God's grace comes into people's lives, things are overturned. They're overthrown. And I saw God's grace at work today. I've seen it today in your lives, here in this very room. Your lives have been overthrown, radically altered, radically changed. At the beginning of this service, in the, in the simple confession of your sins, you repented. And I spoke the words of absolution into your life, not my words, but the words of Jesus Christ himself into your life. The words of Jesus Christ alone forgive. And today, this day is a new day, and today you have a new life. You have been turned over, overthrown. Day by day, by the grace of God, God is turning you over, creating new soil in you, so that new life might spring up from you. God is working that miracle in you day by day, and God has plans for you just like he did for Jonah. You've been called, you've been called by the Almighty to bring the salvation and good news of Jesus into this world, in your families, in your neighborhoods, and wherever God sends you. When God called you 
to be his very own, he also gave you this call to be his disciple, but to also make disciples in this world. There is a section in the book of Romans, chapter 6, a, a well-known passage, at least in our Lutheran circles, that talks about baptism. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6 talks about baptism, and he kind of concludes this section in Romans chapter 6, verse 13, which says this. The Apostle Paul says, Do not present your members, your, your body parts, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Paul had been teaching here in Romans chapter 6 how through the waters of holy baptism, we are united with Jesus Christ in his death, and our old self, our old sin within us, dies, drowns, and is buried with Jesus in the grave. But through baptism, we also are united with Jesus in his resurrection. So we rise to new life through the water and are put on dry ground through that water of baptism to new life. Jonah had his death and resurrection experience in the belly of that great fish. You and I have had our death and resurrection experience through the waters of holy baptism. Drowned, dead, buried, sin, rising to new life. And then the Apostle Paul says these words, having been made alive in Christ through the waters of holy baptism, because you are alive in Christ, you have been given this call that your bodies should be instruments for righteousness. Instruments for righteousness. What does this mean? I have a trumpet here. I've had this trumpet a long time, uh, since I was about in fifth grade. Uh, this thing is not in good condition. Our trumpet player, jo uh, Noah, not Jonah, uh, Noah is a much better trumpet player than I, uh, but this thing's it's missing pieces, uh, much like us, beaten up, falling apart. But God says, hey, I call you that you might be an instrument for righteousness. But what is an instrument if it just sits down? Is it any good? Does it do anything? Nope. But what if the instrument is put into the hands of someone who knows how to do something with it? Right? Who can do something? What, what if you allowed your life to be completely and wholly at the mercy of the one who made it? And you allow him to breathe life and new life and forgiveness and purpose and activity into you every single day? What happens then? God makes a wonderful tune in your life. God can work. God can work in your life, and he will work in your life. Your body is an instrument for righteousness. And when you present yourself to God in order that he can work righteousness in you, it's a blessing, not just to you, but to the ends of the earth. This is Jonah in chapter 3. He is willing, he is willing here in, in chapter 3 to be played by God, to be used by God. But we're going to find out that Jonah doesn't really like the tune that God is playing through him. He doesn't really like that tune that God's playing through him. So I just ask you today, do you like the tune that God is playing through you right now? Or are you trying to distort that tune, trying to change it, 
trying to mute it, quiet it? What does the tune look like that God is working in you? Or are you allowing him to utilize you as the beautiful new creation that you are to bring the beautiful word of grace and salvation into this world? Well, we see here at the end of chapter 3, we see here at the end of chapter 3 that Nineveh repents, the people and the animals, and God relents. He doesn't bring disaster and utter destruction upon them. This would seem like a good place to end the story, doesn't it? It seems like a great conclusion. Happily ever ever after. Jonah did what he's supposed to do. The people repent. They're saved. Hurrah. But is this the end? It's actually not. But you know what? Let's give Jonah a break. And for today, let's just end it right here. But come back next week and we're going to go a little bit further into the life of Jonah and these people in Nineveh. As we wrap up today, can I close us in a word of prayer? Please join me as we pray. Lord, we are empty instruments. We're ready to be played by you, but we often don't want to play the tune that you have in mind. Help us to trust that when you bring us places, you do it so that we can speak of the salvation that you give by your grace. Fill us with your grace each day to start new in this life. Make a beautiful tune in our lives that others may see you through us and bring glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.